welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. sitting here on the 31st of December 2017 and wondering where that year has just gone. As at the end of last year, I'm just going to use this podcast to do a really short reflection, so it'll just be me speaking. And over the past year, we've been able to, well, I've had the privilege of, of sitting down with 12 amazing people from all sorts of different stages in their careers, uh, different countries, um, academia, industries, some different disciplines. I'm hoping to broaden out the disciplinary reach as well, different genders, different life situations. And I always find it fascinating just listening to people's stories and the diversity of people's experiences and even people who we think Uh, by some sorts of objective measures, are successful. Hearing that everyone has their own story, their own struggles, their own successes, their own challenges to deal with. And I know I learned so much from each of the stories too about uh, things that I can apply for my own uh, life, my my own academic work. So I really want to thank those people for their time, in in sitting down with me and and for just being so honest and open in that sharing. And I'd love to uh, thank you as well for your support in listening to the podcast and for those of you in particular who've taken time to give feedback directly. It's great to hear what's connecting and and the ways in which uh, people's stories are, are helping to make a difference for you. So I can just read out a couple of examples of recent feedback just just to illustrate. So as someone talks about, as a tenure-track assistant professor, I found your show to be a constant source of reassurance and positivity. As you know, academia can be socially isolating, and it's extraordinarily comforting to hear other faculty share experiences that mirror my own and suggest alternative ways to approach this job. Someone else talks about starting as an assistant professor and been looking all around for advice and came across the podcast and really been enjoying listening to it. I especially appreciate that you and your guests have a perspective that includes life outside work and how it often informs or complements the work one does. And someone else says, I found that we're often biased to hearing more from people who have either sacrificed work-life balance or somehow pulled off both being at a top university and living normal life. So I appreciated that in the podcast, some researchers acknowledge the trade-offs and talk about making different choices to be able to achieve other life goals. And that's all great feedback because I think they touch upon all sorts of aspects that are really important. Because it's not all about work. And in the greater scheme of things, what does another paper or another proposal or another grant uh, mean? And I know that's very different for people at different career stages. So there is uh, a luxury for myself, for example, to be able to say that as a, a per- someone with a permanent position. But every choice we make has trade-offs. 
every single choice. And somehow, sometimes I think we can be set up with this skewed perspective that the only choices that are worth making are the ones that advance our academic careers. And and we're more than that. And so I think it's great to see and to hear people talk about the ways that they define for themselves, you know, are, or are defining, you know, through pain uh, you know, and tears sometimes, what sort of life they want to have and how they want that to play out. So personally, I've had a very challenging year in lots of different ways. So um, I'm proud of myself for having made it here relatively sound and whole and able to reflect on lots of really good personal lessons that I learned out of the challenging situations and to recognise and be grateful for some really great colleagues who've been been very supportive in getting here. Through lots of reasons, you know, is it, this year has really made me reflect a lot more on what my own non-negotiables are. Um, what are the things that really matter to me and what aspects of my work I really love and want to do more of? Again, I know that's from a point of, of relative uh, privilege. So some of the things that I've been privileged to uh, do this year is uh, participating in various doctoral colloquiums with young PhD students. And that's been great because one of the things that people have always fed back is that what's been most valuable isn't so much the discussion on their particular topic, but the the discussion around of the issues around doing a PhD and how do you manage that process and looking forward and, and sort of career options. We've also had some great early career development workshops, symposia, and in some ways that's been both heartbreaking to hear that so much pressure that people are under and often in very under-supported situations, but also wonderfully inspiring to watch how people connect to one another and support one another, brainstorm ideas and solutions, and often follow those connections through after the symposia as ongoing networks and support relationships. And I think that points to something that we can all be thinking about is, you know, are there, what, what sort of support networks do we need to set up for ourselves and for one another just to provide some sort of sounding board, accountability mechanism, just someone who says, how are you? And, and is interested in hearing the response. Uh, I was also lucky to be able to run a course at one of our major conferences this year and the course was called Saying Yes uh, Wisely and Strategically. And I felt really felt like that was something that was important because often the emphasis uh, is put on saying no and what concerns me about that, while the, the, the intention is really good. We can't keep saying yes to everything. We have to say no. Often with the emphasis on saying no, it feels like it can end up being quite reactionary and without any definition or shape to what it is that we are saying yes to. And so I just wanted to turn that around to put the emphasis on saying yes. You know, How do we work out what our values are, what's important to us, what do we consider the good work and the great work that we want to do? How do we recognise that we only have limited time and 
prioritize what we want to put in and sometimes by virtue of our job roles, what we need to fit in and then what's left. And that gives us a benchmark against uh, how we can evaluate each next request about whether we say yes or no. Does it fit with what's important to us, what matters, what gives meaning um, or something that we need to or want to do for the community or or does it not? You know, can we fit it? Do we want to do it? But there's no time. So can we learn to say yes strategically? Because every decision, I think we hear that from lots of people's stories, every decision and choice has trade-offs. Every choice has trade-offs. And I'd love us, I, I'm talking to myself here, you know, to be much more conscious of what those trade-offs are all the time and maybe um, resetting the parameters and the boundaries for how much we can think we can fit in. One of the other things that I was uh, had the opportunity to do was a TEDx talk at TEDx TUV, and at the last minute I changed my mind to talk about the impact that some of the funding processes, research funding processes, have on people, and and the the, the craziness of the systems that are in place that add to the pressure that people are under. In last year's uh, end-of-year podcast, I called for looking out at for how we could be kinder to one another. And I, I want to connect to that again this year, and it's not a new call. I, lots of people have been talking about this. Um, I was able to sneak in at the end of a keynote at a very technical conference about trying to promote prosociality and and. Uh, you know, encouraging people to do random acts of kindness, recognizing the power that we have to influence uh, our workplaces and the productivity and creativity of people that we work with in these small ways. Um, Kylie Ball has a great blog post from earlier this month that she calls Let's Make Kindness the Next Academic Disruptor. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I'll put a link to that at the end of this. Uh, there was a book published uh earlier this year called Awakening Compassionate Work by Monica Warlean and Jane Dutton. And they're making a case in that book, uh, talking about organisations and businesses, and I don't see any reason why the same principles or research findings wouldn't also apply to academic and research settings. But they talk about how academic uh, organisations and businesses do best when they pay attention to the emotional needs of workers and show compassion for them, and that the the results are all sorts of business-related metric stuff, like improved creativity and innovation and performance. But basically that comes from having a a, a happier, uh, more looked-after workforce. And I don't think we should be doing that just to produce those outcomes. I think that's a wrong motivation. But recognising that we can have both, that if by caring for one another more, uh, we can also, we are actually helping each other do better work because there's an an enormous amount of research that supports the value uh, of being in positive uh, pro-social relationships at work and being cared for in those sorts of ways um, in increasing, so there's a, a, an article about prosociality at work. They'll put a link to again at the end of the uh, blog that talks about you know, increase of well-being, reducing burnout, emotional exhaustion, cr- cultivating empathy and creativity by focusing attention on others, 
boosting productivity, improving work performance. So I think especially in the current political climate globally as well, a call for more kindness and compassion isn't just a soft, wishy-washy thing, but really fundamentally important and fundamentally critical to being human in no matter what work we do, in connecting with one another and supporting one another and, as I said, in realising that we get other positive benefits like improved work outcomes at the end and in this time of lots of societal challenges, better, more creative, innovative research and solutions to solve some of those challenges will be great. So I'd encourage us not to underestimate the profound change and impact each and every one of us can make through just very small, simple, positive actions. And they can be things from just everyday small things like bringing someone a cup of coffee or asking someone about how their event at the weekend went and actually stopping and listening to the answer. It could be offering to read the draft for someone or, or creating a little a support writing group, reading group. It could be leaving a surprise gift for someone on their desk or bringing in a cake. You know, Kia Hook talked about uh, the, the Swedish custom of fika, coffee, cake in the afternoon. We could take the time to notice positive things about our colleagues and actually stop and give them feedback about it or to say thank you to stop and say thank you again about you know, naming very specific things. We can also do stuff to start to change the culture of our own workplaces, I think, in, in even bigger ways. So a lot of that is about creating happier, better supported uh, colleagues and, and you get benefits yourself in doing that. Um, and I'm reminded of... Uh, I'm sitting, I'm in Australia at the moment and it's a really hot summer's day and I'm reminded of a campaign that we had back in the early 80s called Slip Slop Slap because Australia's got one of the highest instances of skin cancer in, throughout the world and this campaign talked about slipping on a shirt, slopping on the sunscreen and slapping on a hat and it took a while for that to bed in And but one thing I really noticed was we went away for a couple of years uh, in the sort of second half of the 80s. And before I went away, if you went to work in Australia with a tan, or at least where I went to work, people would say, don't you look healthy? Don't you look great? You've been, you know, you've got a great tan. And what I noticed when I came back was if I, if you went to work with a tan, people were going, ooh, you've been in the sun. Did you forget to put your sunscreen on? And it actually became something to be remarked upon in a totally different way. And I'd love to think about what could be the equivalent of a slip, slop, slap campaign for academia, you know, where working long hours, working at the weekends, uh, aiming for 50 million papers per year is no longer a badge of honour or something to be celebrated or rewarded, but something to be remarked upon and questioned. And we can start too just by our small actions starting to contribute to that. You know, so maybe we can say no emails, unnecessary emails sent at weekends or after hours, especially not expecting answers. And those of us who are in positions of uh, power authority or leadership or management, I think, have a special responsibility in this regard in setting the culture. 
Um, we can look at when we set deadlines for conferences and journals and not expecting people to be working at weekends because we know what we're like and we will work right up to the deadline. So do we really want to have deadlines on Sundays and set the implication that people will be working at weekend? Can we start encouraging one another to do good enough or to focus on high quality um, and smaller numbers of outputs? Can we sit on uh, selection panels and review committees and look at people's CVs and try to interpret them relative to their context and stop letting numbers speak in their own right but try to look behind them and look for quality rather than quantity? Can we start meetings with positive uh, reports? And that needn't be about just good events, but they could be things that didn't go well but something that we learned. But start celebrating what we are doing well and put more of an emphasis on that because there's so much pressure, I think, around what we haven't yet done and what we are yet to, to achieve that we don't celebrate what we've done. Again, these are things that I think I talked about end of last year. Let's start doing these things more and more. We can change the culture slowly, each of us doing our own, uh, making our own moves in our own way. So that's, that's it for 2017. Again, thank you for your ongoing support and for listening. And, uh, please feel free to send me an email or send any feedback via the blog if there are any sort of people you particularly would want me to talk to or any topics to particularly cover. I'm hoping to have a little, to make a little more time for it this year. Um, so wishing you all the very best for 2018 and in defining what's important for you, what your own values are, what, how you want to create an academic life that is meaningful and sustainable for you. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. Mm-hmm.